it's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. It is Friday, August 21st, 2009. We are at the end of yet another work week for those of you who have normal, regular working hours. Gotta thank you again for uh, serving us, your neighbor, in all that you do. Whether it's driving a truck, working at a restaurant, wiping dirty bottoms, cleaning snotty noses, working at a grocery store, it doesn't matter. It's a great way to serve your neighbor, and I want to say thank you. Well, thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I'm your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Well, why do we do that? Well, because there's a lot of um, ideas floating around out there in this postmodern culture. Um, and uh, a lot of the ideas sound spiritual, sound Christian-ish. Kind of. Um, But the problem is, is that uh, many of the things that are floating around being said of God don't actually jive with God's word. Jive. That am I dating myself by using that that word? <clears throat> anyway, I think you get my point. So, what does this program do? We compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God and see if it all measures up. See if it lines up, and uh, if you can uh, trust what's being said to you. Why? Because God's word is true. Well, how do I know that? Because Jesus Christ said it was, and He proved that He was God by raising Himself from the dead three days after He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. For our sins. Well, all right, we've got a. <laughs> it's Friday, and I had a fantastic night, by the way, last night. Last night, uh, my wife and I celebrated our 20, uh, 21 years. It was 20, uh, our 21st anniversary of our uh, wedding. And uh, it, again, God has blessed me with an amazing woman. Uh, I do not deserve her. It is purely by grace that I have such a great woman. And uh, we had a fantastic night last night, and believe it or not, (laughs) drum roll please, uh, we found an authentic Mexican restaurant, and it was fantastic. My wife and I had authentic Mexican food here in the greater Indianapolis area, and it was so good. Oh. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, we, we went to dinner, and we went to a movie. Unfortunately, the movie was not nearly as good as the dinner, but uh, I enjoyed spending the time with my wife. And, uh, yeah, we saw the... uh, Is it me or is it just the movies this summer are just not that great? I mean, Up was good. Um, Did I I mention that Up was good? Uh, We went... My son, uh, he he recommended that we go see a mindless uh, adventure, blow them up kind of movie, movie. And he was right about the mindless part. We saw G.I. Joe. Oh, man. I, 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 okay, if you like completely unbelievable action kind of thing, then I guess G.I. Joe you know, fits the bill. It's like bubblegum for your brain. Um, you know, that, that's the best way I can describe it. So if you're, if you're into that kind of movie, I would have preferred to have gone and seen a chick flick i mean one of my favorite chick flicks is that pride and prejudice uh, movie that came out a couple of years ago fantastic oh, wait a second did i just admit that i like 
No, I didn't admit that. <sighs> that might get deleted. <laughs> anyway, no, we had a fantastic evening and uh, in you know just a great time. So thank you for those of you who sent emails uh, congratulating us on our 21st wedding anniversary. It was fantastic. All right, moving along to the program today. What do we got lined up today? Oh, Patricia King. <laughs> oh, I've got a doozer for you. Uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, Patricia King is, uh, oh man, she is promoting her glory school that's going to be meeting in Minneapolis <laughs> in September. I got audio to play for you regarding that video. I uh, got follow-up news on the, there's a Christian law firm that's uh, uh, fighting the ridiculous criminal charges that are brought against those school officials because they uh, you know, asked somebody to pray to bless uh, uh, some food. And then uh, probably a story you're not going to hear on a lot of Christian radio. Um, the, the folks over at Guinness, Guinness as in the, the great Irish beer, Guinness beer. Um, the, the I don't know if you all know this, but the uh, the, the guy who founded uh, Guinness is, uh, was a devout Christian. And uh, they've recently sent out a press release kind of focusing in on the Christian roots of, uh, of Guinness beer. And so we're going to read to you that press release, if for no other reason than it's the kind of uh, story that should be covered on a Lutheran uh, radio program. <laughs> oh, man. So, I, I just, again, you know, those, of, those people who are a little bit skittish about uh, Christians and alcohol, again, we don't have a problem with it here. It, it's, it's real simple. We have no problem embracing the fact that Jesus Christ turned water into wine. It wasn't grape juice. Grape juice wasn't invented until refrigeration. You know, you had to find a way to stop the fermentation process. Anyway, um, it wasn't grape juice. It was wine. It was the good stuff. We don't have a problem with that because the biblical prohibition or caution, if you would, regarding alcohol is not that you have to abstain from it. Instead, the Christian prohibition is against drunkenness. It's the abuse of the gift. Just like you can abuse the gift of sex uh, through, this, through, through the sin of adultery doesn't mean that therefore the solution to uh, solving the problem of the sin of adultery is to not engage in sex at all. That that doesn't make any sense. Instead, the, the, the biblical solution is to enjoy the gift that God has given us in sex within the constraints that God has, has, has laid out for it. That would be within a marriage between a man and a woman, not anything else. Anyway... So uh, that's that's our official position here. So that's uh, I'll be excited to read this uh, press release regarding the Christian story behind Guinness beer. And then Tony Jones. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, John Piper really has, uh, his, his, you could say, has ignited controversy all over the Internet regarding the, his claim that uh, it was God who sent the tornado uh, that uh, toppled the cross at the steeple at the at Central uh, Christian there, the ELCA church, uh, right across the street from the uh, convention center where the ELCA was voting on approving this, uh, this homosexuality uh, thing. And uh, he, 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 oh man, there's a lot of people are very upset about uh, his uh, his piece. We read it yesterday in the program, and uh, Tony Jones is wants to know who's going to call out John Piper. He, he he wants somebody to rein him in regarding his bad theology. We're going to talk about that a little bit today, and uh, time permitting, 
I, I may not get to this till Monday, so I'm just saying it just depends on time. I have it at the bottom of the list, and it just depends on you know where we're going with the program today. Um, a, 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 a online Christian publication called the Christian Index. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Don Hathaway, who's the senior pastor at Tabernacle Baptist Church in Cartersville. Um, and uh, he's the vice chairman of the board of directors of Christian Index, and he's written an article there called The Day the Circus Came to Church, worth passing along. And so time depending, I'm hoping we're going to get to that today. So I I just throw it out there for uh, a possibility. And then for our sermon review today... uh, (laughs) The name of the sermon is called Fueling Your Future. It's from the Champions Center and uh, preached by a guy named uh, by the name of Kevin Gerald. We've uh, reviewed one other of his sermons. Uh, this one's a doozer and uh, completely biffs it on law and gospel, too. That seems to be our theme this week for uh, everything we're doing. Uh, correct distinction of law and gospel, at least as it pertains to our sermon reviews. So we got lots of fun stuff in, uh, ready to uh, rock and roll on today. And... Uh, and with that, I would think we should uh, head into the uh, Patricia King uh, piece, which means we have to. That's right, fractured fairy tales. Boy, have we got some doozers from Patricia King today, man. Now, on this particular audio, what I think you might want to consider doing is uh, we need to come up with some kind of a heresy per second count uh, <laughs> or some <laughs> objective way of quantifying what it is that we're going to hear here. The quality is the uh, the pure entertainment possibilities here are just off the charts. <sighs> so <laughs> without any further ado... Here's the latest from Patricia King regarding, it's called In the Glory, and um, ah, here we go. (laughs) Hi, God's called you to walk in the glory of his kingdom. Really? I I don't know what you're talking about. In the Old Testament, the word glory, um, for the most... Yeah, she doesn't know Hebrew, (laughs) but here she goes. She's going to tell us the word in Hebrew. ...part is kabod, speaking of the weight of God's copiousness, his abundance, and his awesomeness. Glory, in a nutshell, I guess, would be the fullness of all God is and all that he has. And so there's... So far, so good. I mean, this is... You know, here's the deal. But... (laughs) The one thing I notice about Patricia King is this, that just like a blind squirrel can find a nut every now and then, every now and then she could say something that sounds reasonable, but it's the after <laughs> part that's the best. Hang on, just stay with me. It's just... Oh. Different manifestations of the glory as uh, we see it come into our lives and manifest in our lives. And What are you talking about? <laughs> we've seen so much of it, and God's been showing us over the last number of years that His glory, kingdom glory, is our portion. Kingdom glory is your portion in life. And What? <laughs> what does that sentence mean? Kingdom glory is your portion in life? Huh? 
he wants you to enjoy it not after you leave this earth to go into you know your heavenly domain after you finish your course on this life but he wants you to experience right now today uh-huh. and you can and so kingdom glory is to be embraced by you on a daily basis so- notice that the only the only uh, flimsy at that uh, justification for anything she said is she said that uh, the Old Testament word for glory is kabod. And somehow that now gives this enough, just enough biblical authority for her to start saying anything she wants to say. We're going to go freewheeling here just shortly. It's, yeah, stay with me. I, uh, this one cracks me up. You can operate and then function in those glory dimensions. In our glory schools, we... Um, in your what? In your in your in your glory schools, oh boy! Teach practically out of the Word of God, um, intensive studies and and boot camps and impartation on how to enter into the fullness of the glory, on how to live in it in a day by day basis. Where did you find this stuff again? I read the Bible a lot, lady, and I don't see any of this stuff in there. Would you be interested in learning how to engage in interaction with angels? Would you? (laughs) Oh, man. And would you be interested in learning how to interact with they? You are out of your mind, lady. <laughs> oh man! Like to learn how to discern the presence of angels and the different types and what they do and how. <laughs> oh man, this cracks me up. How they do it? Would you like to learn how to move into transports in the spirit? To 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 what? To move into transports in the spirit? Where is this taught in scripture? Oh my goodness, this is nuts. How to ascend into the heavens, into the glory dimension of God. So you can you can learn how to ascend into heaven and, and into the glory dimension. You can do this. It, she's, she's figured this out. I, I haven't seen any of this stuff taught anywhere in the Bible at all, but she's figured it out. But then again, would any of you be interested in some... Uh, you know, I've got some great beachfront, sandy beachfront property um, in Nevada. Mm-hmm. It's right on the Pacific Ocean. I'm telling you, don't, you don't pull out your map. It'll confuse you. You know, but uh, I've got some great beachfront property for you in Nevada. You, you, it's a great deal. How to walk with Holy Spirit, how to discern his voice, how to engage in supernatural encounters. All of that is in our Glory Schools. And, of course, you can order the Glory School CDs or DVDs with the manuals or MP3s online. Oh, man, they actually sell the Glory School. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I'm sure it would provide all kinds of hours of entertainment here at Fighting for the Faith, but there's no way I can bring myself to... Um, giving this woman a penny, it just would not be right. And you can download right off your computer if you want. But we're also hosting a glory school in Minneapolis. (laughs) you got to be careful. Uh, God sends tornadoes to heretics (laughs) up in Minneapolis. In September 
21 to 23. It's going to be an amazing time. We only have room for about 300 students, so you're going to want to sign up right away if you want to come. But it's an intensive where you're not only going to be taught the glory, but the glory is going to come into the atmosphere and release impartation. No way. Wow, that's, I mean, you can, you, she's making this, I mean, do you get your money back if the glory doesn't show up and give the impartation? What are you talking about? The glory presence of God, the kabod of God will be in that school. And re- really, so you've, God has got this on his day planner. You've called God up on the phone. And say, hey, you know, we're just, uh, you know, we got our glory school coming up in Minneapolis in September and need to make sure that uh, you, you can, you're going to be there. And it, God said, yeah, put me down. I got it in my day planner. No problem. Uh, glory, I'll, I'll send it that day. Release impartation. We've seen it in every single school we've done where the glory comes and people as they stand in the glory get the impartation. And afterwards, I can't tell you. I've lost count of how many people that attend glory school say to me afterwards, it's changed my life. My life changed forever after that school. And it's, it's, it's not because of me. It's because of the glory of God. It's what happens to the glory. It's, happen, it's, it's what happens to you when you're in the glory. I, 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 I'm telling you, we need, some, we need some way of tracking the heresies per minute or second here on this uh, video. And that glory is available for you every day. The glory yeah, of God, yeah. when you're in the glory, healing takes place when you're in the glory financial miracles take place when you're in the glory do you, do you think if i were to you know like stand in the glory that uh, i would experience a weight loss miracle just you know just not thinking out loud here the glory of revelation comes when you're in the glory um angelic vis- i would like an age reduction um uh, miracle too you know the 41 year old body is you know it, it would be nice not to just lose weight, but, you know, to take some years off the biological clock. You think I can get that, too, by standing in the glory? Hesitation is, is, is escalated. Uh-huh. When you're in the glory, um, there's things that God does, you know, that, that, that you are not. Notice that uh, none of the apostles, uh, these would be the guys who hung out with Jesus, you know, three years of his ministry, traveled all over the Judean countryside with him, all over the place, watched him perform miracles. Heal the sick, raise the dead, give sight to the blind, die on the cross. None of those guys who hung out with Jesus, they didn't teach any of this stuff. This is None of their apostolic teaching even remotely resembles any of the things that Patricia King here is describing. You would think that people would go, let me see, I open up my Bible and I start reading it, and it doesn't sound anything like Patricia. Hmm, I wonder why that is. Hmm. Aware of otherwise, all you have to do is learn how to live in that glory, walk in that glory, and be in that glory. And so, if you can't make it to the live glory school, then go online right now and study this out over the next couple months. I study it over and over. The CD, every single CD, is packed full of revelatory teaching. I actually received. Now, listen carefully to what. Notice, okay, this stuff is not taught in the Bible. So, where does it come from? I'm going to back up the audio just a couple of seconds. Listen carefully to where the co- the content of the curriculum of this glory school came from. Are you ready? Here we go. CD, every single CD is packed full of revelatory teaching. I actually received the glory school through a 30-day visitation of the Spirit of God. He gave-
There you go. Where did she get this information from? Well, God met with her for 30 days. I wonder if she had to cover her face like Moses did, you know, when he went up uh, to meet with God and get the Ten Commandments. And you know how he, when he came down from Mount Sinai, his face was glowing with the glory of God. I wonder if that happened to her, too. Give me dictation, unpacked things to me, showed me how to walk in the glory myself. I've been exercising it over the years. I know. This is just unbelievable charlatanism. Unbelievable. You expect us to believe that, lady? Oh, come on. This works. And so I'm giving to you what I freely received in the Lord. But you see, she she has a direct phone line to heaven. She talks directly with God. Yeah, I understand you're not going to find any of this in Scripture, but that's okay because God met with her personally for 30 days and gave her this information. I mean, she might as well be up there with, like, Isaiah and Jeremiah. You know, but every single CD, you could listen to every single CD ten times over and get something different every time because of the spirit of revelation that's in each one. And the Right. Like I said, I, ha you know, I have some beachfront property I'd like to sell you. It's in Nevada. Again, don't look at a map. It'll confuse you. But it's right there on the Pacific Ocean. It's very sandy property. And, uh, you know, I could sell it to you on the cheap. It, it's, it, in fact, it, it's bargain, bargain price for this beachfront property in Nevada. DVDs are great for doing Bible studies with, for, for using at your church, for... For sending people to hell. For special meetings and things like that. In fact, one past... For deceiving people. ...had a conference on the weekend, but, but before that did a mini glory school using my DVDs on the big screen, and people came for that, and then he had his team activate them during the activation time. Oh, wow. So let me see if I have this straight. So if you if you can't attend the Glory School in, there in Minneapolis, uh, then you can get the CDs and the DVDs. And um, along with not only do you get all of this special revelation that Patricia receives directly from God during this 30-day visitation, but uh, on top of it, you can learn how to activate the Glory so that it's not just useless information. You can actually activate it there on the spot. Unbelievable. Brilliant strategy. And we just encourage you to do that because we want the entire church to know how to, to receive the downloads and to live in that glory. <laughs> receive the downloads. Oh, boy. Dimension. And so put... Um, September 21 to uh -huh. 23. Yeah, I, I got it in my planner. I, I'm already busy. Sorry, won't be there. On your calendar, if you can make it to the Minneapolis Glory School, September. You know what? Tell you what, Patricia. You, you are absolutely 100% convinced that it's this is given to you by God himself. You know, as a member of the media, you know, since I, I, I'm a media guy. Um, I, I'd be happy to drive to Minneapolis, uh, but there's no way in Hades that I would actually pay you a penny to hear you speak about any of this stuff because it's obvious to me that you're a charlatan. But, you know, since I'm a member of the media, if you would like to invite me to come and report on the uh, the uh, glory school, I would be happy to come and report on it. You know, be there in, in a journalistic sense and there to report on what I've seen. But then again... 
keep in mind, if you did invite me as, as you know, give me a media pass, so to speak, uh, that uh, I would need to then compare everything that you're claiming regarding this glory school to the actual word of God and uh, to see that it really comports. Already, we, things are a little more than just problematic. 21 to 23 in Minneapolis. I'd love to see you there. If you can be there for the live glory school and we'll enter the glory together. (laughs) Oh, man. By the way, just so you know, she is a graduate of uh, King and the Duke Seminary. Just, uh, you're not sure what that is. Uh, Read uh, Huck Finn. I always love it when we have Patricia King on. It just, you know, uh, that's right. It's just completely fractured fairy tales that this woman is selling. Used wares, completely useless spirituality that she's made up all by herself. And uh, is selling to people at, of course, you know, bargain prices. Unbelievable. Wow. <laughs> okay, we've got to switch gears here. That that means it's time to move into the news segment of uh, Fighting for the Faith, which requires me to uh, pull up our vintage news music so that we can uh, move on to that. From the Christian Post, we read Christian law firm fights ridiculous criminal charges against school officials. Yeah, that's right, from the Christian Post. Now, we had re- we had actually reported on this earlier. Um, I mean, it was week- last week or the week before. Again, I'm getting old. Details get fuzzy, you know, after I record a program. I can't remember when I, pro- I, I actually did the program sometimes. But that's okay, you know, because if I go to this glory school on a media pass, I may be able to step into the glory and experience, you know, like a download of God giving me a miraculous weight loss miracle and yeah, yeah, click put the body clock back miracle. Anyway, uh, this is from Nathan Black, who is a Christian Post reporter. It, uh, it, here we go. Florida school officials Frank Lay and Robert Freeman recently received letters informing them that they could lose their retirement benefits because of a prayer said at a luncheon. Yeah, there we go. I mean, let's threaten Christians with losing their... I mean, these are people who are serving their neighbors in uh, education down there in Florida... And they're going to lose their retirement benefits because of criminal charges filed against them because they asked somebody to bless, you know, to have God bless the lunch. Unbelievable. The Pace High School principal and athletic director are accused of violating a consent decree which prohibits all district school officials from promoting, endorsing, or causing religious prayers during school-sponsored events and face criminal contempt charges. Matthew Staver, founder of the Liberty Council, said on Fox News on Monday that the two administrators stand to lose collectively 70 years of their life investment into the school district. That is not... That is not a punishment commiserate with the crime. 
When Principal Lay asked Freeman to bless the meal during a luncheon in January, they never thought that this would be a violation of any order, Staver, who was representing the two men, said, quote, they certainly never thought they would be defending themselves under a criminal contempt charge and face up to $5,000 in fines and up to six months in prison, and they never thought that they, they would jeopardize their collective 70 years of employment retirement benefits. The notorious civil, American Civil Liberties Union filed a complaint about the prayer to U.S. District Judge Casey Rogers. The ACLU had previously filed a lawsuit against the high school on behalf of two unnamed students who alleged the school officials regularly promoted religion and led prayers at school events. The lawsuit was settled with a consent decree approved by both parties earlier this year. Following the complaint, however, Judge Rogers initiated criminal contempt uh, proceedings against Lay and Freeman for willfully violating the court's temporary injunction order. Their lawyer, Staver, argues that no students and only a few employees were present at the luncheon in January. The people who attended were private individuals not associated with the school other than they were part of the booster club that donated money to the school for a new athletic field house. Lay stated in February uh, in a February 4 letter to District Superintendent Tim Wise, uh, Wise Dick, however, that uh, culinary class students prepared and served the meal. Uh, Glenn Canton, director of the Religious Freedom Project for the ACLU, told CNN that it did not request the two men go over uh, go to jail over the possible violation of a court order. No, 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 we don't want them to go to jail. We just don't want them to, we're going to steal their retirement. <clears throat> he said the challenge is about the students' rights uh, right to be free from teachers and school administrators thrusting upon the, uh, students their religious beliefs. Meanwhile, recent proceedings have teachers and staff running with fear, not knowing what they're going to do next, according to Liberty Council Staver. Staver, who believes the criminal contempt charge is ridiculous, says the ACLU has been placing people monitors on campus to check for any religious activity. Uh, they're trying to literally eliminate anything that's religious, Staver said on Fox News. They've just been uber sensitive to this kind of activity and they're literally they are literally trying to erase it not just during the school day but even after the school day on school campus and even now off campus so the teachers and staff are running with fear not knowing what they're going to do next liberty council filed a motion to intervene to challenge the consent degree which it believes unconstitutionally infringes on the rights of teachers administrators and students in may as a result of the decree senior class president mary allen who was expected to speak at her graduation ceremony was removed from the lineup because she might say something Christian. Yeah, there it is. Christianity in America. You can't say, you mean, you, we can, uh, we can actually take people off of the docket now for a graduation. If there's the possibility, just the possibility that they might say something about God. No, we don't want to hear about God. We're, therefore, we're going to take a preemptive action and keep you from even give you the ability to say something about God. Wouldn't want that to happen now, would we? <sighs> All right, we're up on our first break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to um, talk about the Christian story behind Guinness beer. Apparently, the guy who founded Guinness thought he was serving his neighbor by doing so. We'll have to talk about that because I don't think there's a lot of Christian radio stations that are going to cover this story, and I want to make sure that it gets covered. And then we have uh, <laughs> what I consider probably one of the craziest uh, uh, <laughs> 
Tony Jones of the Emergent Church wants to know who's going to uh, rein in John Piper for his uh, bad theology. I kid you not, we're going to talk about that, and it looks like we're going to probably have time to get to this uh, uh, Christian Index story, The Day the Circus Came to Church. It's definitely a story worth passing along, so uh, stay tuned. Lots of good stuff coming up. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on today's program or any previous program, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can look me up on Twitter. My name there is Chris Roseboro, or I'm sorry, Pirate Christian, or follow me on Facebook. My name there is Chris Roseboro. Is that confusing? Yeah, we'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. Saddlestent's Church, where we give your itching ears what they want to hear. Here at Saddlestench, we have numerous worship venues your family can learn to love and enjoy. For all those rural western boys, we have the Cowboy Bar meeting on Sunday at high noon at the Purpose Driven Bar and Grill. We play a wide variety of honky-tonk and country music for your listening enjoyment. Directly after the Cowboy Bar Worship Service, we have Christian line dancing in the bar next door to the worship area. Are you a nerd looking for a worship service that understands your special needs? Then look no further than the Geek Squad venue that meets in our server room on Saturdays at 3 a.m. We praise the Lord with music from Devo, Oingo Boingo, the B-52s, and other similar artists. Are you a thespian whose world revolves around the stage of life? Then come to our Broadway worship service that starts every Friday at 6 p.m. when the curtain rises in the Purpose Palladium. We only use the most relevant and heart-moving music from Broadway for every worship service. If you prefer a more traditional way of worship, come on down to the Latin Mass venue on Sundays at 9.15 a.m. We're located in the Prayer Labyrinth, where you'll be able to soothe your soul with classic Gregorian chant and incense. Want to go to a church service your wife and daughters will enjoy? Then by no means hesitate to travel to the magical place we so lovingly call Purpose Land. 
The worship services take place in Princess Purpose Castle starting at 8 a.m. on Sunday mornings where attendees will be moved by songs of love and harmony by some of Walt Disney's most beloved princess characters. Still looking for something that can make Jesus rock your world? Then layer on the face paint, blacken those nails, and come to Saddle Stench's Twisted Worship Service. We crank up the amps every Saturday night at midnight and let the death metal go. We play all the greatest hits from bands like Metallica, Megadeth, and other artists. Not everyone has the same taste in worship style. That's why we put together different worship venues on the Saddle Stench campus each weekend. At these venues, you'll get the same man-centered, biblically watered-down, pop-psych, self-help teaching as everyone else to a live video feed from the main service, but with a smaller, more intimate style. If you plan to attend any of these worship services at Saddle Stench Church, give us a call at 1-666-555-1212. Orthodox Christianity clearly teaches God's law, which condemns our sinful nature and clearly proclaims the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf to pay for our sinfulness. These truths of Holy Scripture are timeless and objective. However, a creeping fog known as the Emergent Church threatens to unravel these clear teachings by redefining the vocabulary and core beliefs of the Christian faith in terms of subjective personal feelings and experiences. That is why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to offer The Emergent Church, Undefining Christianity, a book by Bob DeWay that is widely regarded as the best book available on the Emergent Heresy. The book is $12.95 plus $4 shipping and handling, and all proceeds directly support the Christ-centered ministry of Pirate Christian Radio. Log on today to piratechristianradio.com and order your copy of The Emergent Church, Undefining Christianity. That's about the closest I'll ever get to being a rock star. <laughs> That's right. Do a little air guitar here. White man overbite. Oh, yeah. Rocking out. I, I, I don't do it well. It's really not a good visual for anybody, but I, I, I apologize. <laughs> You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. It is Friday. I'm, I'm in a great mood today. Need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. Yeah, that's right. It's listener-supported. So uh, if you are growing in your understanding of discernment, hearing the gospel, learning how to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, and really growing in your understanding of Christian doctrine, uh, the gospel, and things like that, uh, consider partnering with us because uh, it, it takes money to uh, to bring Fighting for the Faith to you. And the good news is we really... We run a tight ship here financially, so it doesn't cost a lot of money to do it. 
And uh, by supporting us, you not only make it possible for us to bring the program to you, you make it possible for us to bring it to others. So you really are partnering with us and helping to bless others, if you would, through uh, the work that we do here at Fighting for the Faith. You can support us a couple of ways. You can, number one, visit our website. That's right, fightingforthefaith.com, and click on one of our friendly yellow donate buttons. And uh, when you're there, it, you can it, it makes it possible for you to securely send in your uh, your 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 gift there online, or you can do it the traditional way. You can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right. As as a member of the media, I uh, get press releases. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I get press releases. And so uh, I got this press release that came across my uh you know my desk and uh this is from the christian newswire and it says god and guinness and not the guinness book of world records but guinness as in you know the beer guinness uh that dark oh it's so smooth and rich guinness with oh with the foam and the yeah guinness it's good stuff if you have one of my favorite beers now a lot for whatever reason a lot of a lot of the gals don't particularly care for guinness it's 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 a manly beer, if you would. Anyway, uh, so the the headline reads: God and Guinness, the history of one of the world's most famous brands, reveals the faith of a family driven by Christian values. Now, the reason I'm reading this is because you're not going to hear this story on a lot of different Christian radio programs because of the complete fear people run from the idea of Christians drinking. And uh, I got to tell you, in history, that is really a very peculiarly American thing, Uh, you know. And uh, it's it uh, again. You think of the frontier revival, temperance movements of the early twentieth century, and this idea that if you're a Christian, that that you know that the way you show your love for God is that you uh, you give up alcohol. Uh, Jesus drank, folks. Um, there's this wonderful passage in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is talking about uh, John the Baptist. And, uh, you know, he says, John the Baptist came neither eating or drinking, and, uh, and, and, but uh, the Son of Man, that would be Jesus, comes both eating and drinking, and they think he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of uh, sinners. And uh, so, I mean, Jesus was, was not uh, a, a don't-touch-the-alcohol kind of guy. He turned water into wine. So there's, there's really no conflict there. Uh, unless you want to make it a conflict, and what I mean by that is, is that if you don't, if if you in your Christian walk uh, don't have feel that you have the freedom to drink alcohol, then don't, because if you can't do it in faith, it, that would be a sin for you. But there is no biblical prohibition against drinking. There's a strong biblical prohibition against the abuse of alcohol and against drunkenness. Okay, That's where you cross the line. Just like there's not a prohibition against sex, there's a prohibition against the abuse of that gift, adultery, and other forms of perversion. Okay, so uh, this is uh, so this is from the uh, Christian Newswire, Nashville, August nineteenth. Christian Newswire, in the search for God and Guinness, a biography of the beer that changed the world. Thomas Nelson, uh, which is going to be published in October of this year. Stephen Mansfield explores the groundbreaking business acumen of this prolific company and uncovers a deeply held faith running throughout the family's history. Arthur Guinness was a great man of faith. 
born on the estate of an archbishop and raised a loyal son of the Irish church, Arthur lived by the words that uh, were his personal motto, uh, spes mea and deo, that is, my hope is in God. He was deeply inspired by the revivalist John Wesley to use his wealth and talents to make the world better. Taking scripture as his guide, Arthur served the needy of his time and worked to use his gifts to honor his God. One favorite project of his that seems confirmation of both the purity of his faith and his concern for social good, Guinness was the founder of the first Sunday schools in Ireland. Much of the great 250-year history of Guinness beer is a story in which wealth is gained through the faith-inspired excellence and then used to serve others for the glory of God. This is what Arthur Guinness founded, uh, uh, and this is the legacy that Guinness beer still symbolizes to this day. The Guinness story began in Ireland in the late 1700s. The water in Ireland, indeed, throughout Europe was famously undrinkable, and the gin and the whiskey that took its place was devastating civil society. It was a disease-ridden, starvation-plagued, alcoholic age, and Christians like Arthur Guinness, as well as monks and even evangelical churches, brewed beer to offer a healthier alternative to the poisonous waters and liquors of the time. Now, 250 years and 150 countries later, Guinness is a global brand, one of the most consumed beverages in the world with 10 million glasses of Guinness enjoyed every day. The tale that unfolds during those two and a half centuries has power to thrill audiences today. Not exactly, I consider a big deal. The uh, generational drama, business adventure, industrial and social reforms, deep felt faith, and the beer itself. Among the book's key concepts and takeaways are a comprehensive history of beer throughout time, insight into the life of brewing legend Arthur Guinness and how his descendants carried on his traditions, the unbelievable generosity of the Guinness Company to its employees as well as to the community, insight into the faith of the Guinness family, Mansfield's five pillars of truth can be culled from the uh, Guinness tale. So, uh, I mean, this is all information that's coming out in a, in a, in a book you know, that, that chronicles all of this stuff. Now, What's my take on it? Um, my take on it is really clear. I think this is a great example of good Christian vocation and really uh, uh, the right use of our wealth and gifts that God has given us. Scripture is clear that we are to make, you know, if we are to make use of our hands to, gain, to be gainfully employed in order to provide for our own expenses, as well as not just our own expenses, but to also have enough to be able to help others. And I think this, I think it sounds like Arthur Guinness took those passages of scripture literally and, 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 and in not a legalistic way. This sounds like a guy who literally is, uh, you know, this is a fruit of the Holy Spirit in, in his life. And Guinness to this day is still, it's a fantastic beer. The quality is there. And I mean, it, it, this t- speaks to the, you know the, the longevity of the company. Speaks to the generosity. Speaks to the quality. Speaks to all you know all of that. You know, so you know when people ask the question, you know, what are you, what is God's will for your life? God's will for your life is to you know, well, what do you do for a living? Well, if you if you make shoes, then God's will for you is to literally make the best shoes possible and sell them at a fair price. 
uh, you know, if if that that what's what's God's will for Arthur Guinness to make the best beer possible and use the wealth that's created from it to serve his neighbors, and he did that. Just, I think this is a compelling story, and I think a good case for a good look at the Christian doctrine of vocation and the proper uh, and, and how to properly view wealth and uh, how it can be used as a Christian. Fine story, fine story. And uh, the other thing I like about it is is that it it tweaks much of legalistic Christianity in the nose. Well, how can that be? That guy was selling beer. So, so what if he was selling beer? What does that have to do with it? But beer is alcohol. And that's a sin where in Scripture? You see? Anyway, good stuff. All right. (laughs) Got to change gears here. Tony Jones, uh, the emergent church. One of the leaders of the leaderless emergent church. (laughs) He's really not happy about John Piper's claims that the... uh, the tornado that uh, hit Minneapolis uh, the other day, while the uh, ELC will actually hit Minneapolis and t- t- basically tore down the cross on the steeple of the ELCA church across the street from the convention center where the ELCA was meeting in order to approve, basically vote uh, to uh, to uh, ignore God's clear teaching on the on homosexuality. And instead, replace it with uh, with their own view of morality that it's okay. We, we're not only gonna we're gonna we're not only gonna say it's okay for somebody to uh, be in a homosexual relationship. We're gonna have them as our pastors. And so uh, Tony Jones is uh, torqued. He's he is not happy about the uh, uh, John Piper saying that this was from God. Now in in the. Uh, By the way, since yesterday's program, found some more passages of Scripture that support this idea, okay, that uh, it absolutely was probably from God. Well, absolutely was from God. First of all, God controls all the weather, good and bad, okay? But we read in... um, we read in Amos chapter 3, verse 6, it says this, Is it trumpet blown in a city and, and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Amos chapter 3, verse 6, Does disaster come on a city unless the Lord has done it? And the obvious answer is, well, um, no. How about this one? Isaiah 45, um, uh, verse 7. I form light. This is God, Yahweh speaking. I form light and I create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Isaiah 45, 7. Great passage there. I think that kind of makes a point. Or Lamentations chapter 3, verse 38. says this. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High uh, that good and bad come? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Basically, here's the: if you want a Christian doctrine of the weather, God controls it all, good and bad. God sends sunlight to both the wicked and to the uh, and to the, the righteous, and provides for them by growing crops. And God also sends calamity, because every single one of us is has earned and deserves God's punishment. None of us are good. You know, in a sinful and fallen world, bad things happen. And they happen by the sovereignty and divine choice of God. Sorry, he's the one running the show. So, and scripture makes it clear, disaster does come from the Lord. But Tony Jones has been out of shape here. And uh, we'll t- we'll point out a little bit of the irony of this here in a second. Let me read the... Um, 
uh, Tony Jones on his blog writes, who will call out John Piper? He says, so yesterday, John Piper once again entered crazy television evangelist, evangelist territory. No, he didn't. He gave a sober, biblical, basically laid out a sober, biblical case uh, for the fact that the tornado that occurred in Minneapolis was no coincidence. It was by the hand and finger of God. And there's great biblical evidence to support it and to make that claim. But we read... So yesterday, John Piper once again entered crazy television evangelist territory and blamed a small tornado that jumped over Minneapolis and topped a steeple on Central Lutheran Church uh, on the fact that the ELCA delegates uh, were down the street discussing whether to welcome practicing homosexuals into the clergy. He even implies in his post that the lack of warning by the National Weather Service shows that God cooked up this twister with her, I mean his, pinky at the last minute. Now, when you heard me say her, that's in Tony Jones's text, he has it crossed out. That God cooked up the twister with her pinky. He crossed out the word her, but it's there in the post. Of course, this is not new territory for Pastor Piper. He made similar claims to know that the divine mind after the Minneapolis bridge collapse, the Asian tsunami, and other times, and as might be expected, Piper has been gently questioned by John, uh, by Scott, uh, excoriated by Adam and Drew and others, and brilliantly satirized by Janelle. All of this is to be expected. Piper's twisted logic that interprets some natural phenomenon as authored by God to scare sinners while completely ignoring others shocks us. Actually, that's a mischaracterization of John Piper's view. John Piper believes that all weather events are from God. He just highlighted this particular one because of the oh-so-juicy irony here uh, that God would speak during the ELCA's voting in an open rebellion against God and his word. But we continue. All right, let's see. All of this is to be expected. Piper's twisted logic that interprets some natural phenomena as authored by God to scare sinners while completely ignoring others shocks us, I think, because he otherwise seems like a pretty reasonable fellow. For words like that to come from uh, from bombast like Falwell and Robertson is to be expected, but Piper somehow seems above that. But he keeps doing it, so we should no longer be surprised. Part It's part of his shtick. My question is this. Where is Christianity today? Where is Tim Keller? Where are the pres- Presidents of Dallas Seminary, Wheaton College, where is J.I. Packer and Colin Hansen or Daryl Bach? These people and institutions will get gladly editorialize against liberals and emergents, happily write editorials against open theists or pro-choice Christians, but, they will, but will they call out John Piper? <sighs> Man. <sighs> so he's basically asking the question, will anyone in the evangelical intelligentsia finally say that John Piper is outside of mainstream evangelicalism. And he, a- and he answers by saying he doubts it. Well, here's the um, <clears throat> the irony of this particular post. And I left a comment for Tony Jones, and I said, basically said, let me see if I, if I read this post correctly. Tony Jones, an emergent neo-Hegelian who argues against the doctrine of original sin, the penal substitutionary atonement, who practices the Lectio Divina, that's monastic mysticism, and closes his eyes to the clear teachings in scripture regarding the sin of homosexuality. That, Tony Jones, is complaining about John Piper having, quote, bad theology and wants to know who's going to rein Piper in? That is the funniest thing I have read in years. But of course, 
the one thing Tony Jones is absolutely certain about, despite the fact that he's a, a postmodern and, and they're not certain about anything, but the one thing that Tony Jones is absolutely certain about is the fact that it wasn't God who sent that tornado and toppled that cross on the ELCA church steeple. He's absolutely certain about that. Oh, no. The, the goddess that Tony Jones believes in, let me read that again. The goddess that Tony Jones believes in would never do such a thing. The reason for that is, is that she doesn't exist. Now, the reason I said that is because he made the little quip in there basically saying that God was a woman. So the goddess that Tony Jones believes in, she doesn't exist. She would never do this, such a thing. However, the God of the Bible, the one true God, has already spoken clearly in his word that homosexuality is an abomination and warns us to not be deceived because of those who pract- because those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That God, the one true God, he would send a tornado to call the ELCA to repentance for their satanic rebellion against him and his word. I'm with Piper on this one. Why am I with Piper? Because I think Piper's correctly and soberly looked at this event in light of God's word. And the scriptures are clear. Both good and calamity are brought to us by God. The Bible says it. So why should I sit there and say, oh, no, that was random chance. It was a completely freak thing that happened as a result of the roll of the dice with the, with the sun and the moon and the stars and the water and the, and the, and, and the weather patterns. It was completely a fluke. It, I can say with certainty it wasn't God. It wasn't, God would never, would never warn the ELCA to not vote in favor of homosexuality. No, 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 no. God would never intervene in such a way as that. <clears throat> right. You know, I got to tell you this, though. When I saw the photographs of the cross on the steeple at Central Lutheran, there, you know, dangling upside down after the tornado had finished its work, I got to admit, I was excited. I was excited to see God act because. I truly believe the scriptures that God sends calamity as well as good. And that it was God who sent that tornado. And I think he was sending a clear message. And it's exciting. I can't remember the last time in my lifetime I have seen God send so clear a message as that. And it really, really buoys and bolsters my faith. And it really gives me comfort too. Because God, if he really wanted to, tornadoes are very destructive things. He could have sent an F5 and wiped all of the delegates of the ELCA off the face of the earth. Instead, he didn't. He sent basically low-grade F1, at best, tornado. The biggest damage that it did was it tore up part of the roof, flipped over a few tents, and toppled the cross on a steeple. In his mercy, he didn't bring death. Instead, he gave a clear warning and calls the people in the ELCA to repentance because ultimately God doesn't delight in the death of sinners or in punishing them. Instead, he's calling them to repentance and to receive the forgiveness of sins for the rebellion against him. Even now, he's showing his patience and love and kindness towards them, 
by sparing them from a gr- from a greater disaster. And the sad part is, is that they didn't see it for what it was, and they joke about the wrath of God and think that it's completely impossible that they're outside of the will of God and that God is somehow blessing their decision to embrace unrepentant homosexuals as their pastors. That's the tragedy of it all. And yet God calls them to repentance and to receive the forgiveness of sins. For Christ died even for this rebellion that we're seeing. All of the delegates and all of you in the ELCA, you liberals out there who support what's going on in the ELCA, repent. You're wrong. God's word is clear. This is sin. Repent. And even now, God in his great mercy will forgive you and will not punish you as you deserve to be punished for this open rebellion against him and his word. All right, we're up on our second break. Yeah, when we come back, and you know what? I'm going to read, when we do come back, I'm going to read part of this, uh, the, the day the circus came to church. I, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to read all of it. It just all depends. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And then we'll do our sermon review today. The Fueling Your Future from the Champion Center. <laughs> Hang on a second. I'm choking. <sighs> yeah, Champion Center. Um, Kevin Gerald. Oh, boy, this is a fun one that also messes up law and gospel. So good good stuff coming up in uh, hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. You definitely don't want to miss it at all. And those of you who listen on Christian Worldview Network, listen, hour number one of Fighting for the Faith is what's broadcast over there at Christian Worldview Network. If you want to catch hour number two, you need to come to our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Subscribe to our podcast or uh, listen there online if you want to hear the whole thing. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on today's program, you could do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Or look me up on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter. My name is Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Christianity, we need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Avastar, it be too late to alter course, mateys, and there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove, waiting to board. Sit closer together and keep your ruddy hands inboard. That be the best way to repel borders. And mark well me words, mateys. Dead men tell no tales. (laughs) Orthodox Christianity clearly teaches God's law, which condemns our sinful nature, and clearly proclaims the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf to pay for our sinfulness. These truths of Holy Scripture are timeless and objective. However, a creeping fog known as the emergent church threatens to unravel these clear teachings by redefining the vocabulary and core beliefs of the Christian faith in terms of subjective personal feelings and experiences. That is why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to offer The Emergent Church, Undefining Christianity, a book by Bob DeWay that is widely regarded as the best book available on the emergent heresy. The book is $12.95 plus $4 shipping and handling, and all proceeds directly support the Christ-centered ministry of Pirate Christian Radio. Log on today to piratechristianradio.com 
and order your copy of The Emergent Church, Undefining Christianity. Fighting for the faith straight ahead. All right, lining up our resources here for hour number two. All right, seems like I'm not the only one out there now complaining about the the direction of the church. It's glad to hear other people uh, from other denominations, in fact, uh, chiming in and complaining about some of the same things. It makes it so you don't seem quite as crazy. You know, it's uh, it's a, it at times it can be a little bit unnerving because there's not a lot of people out there saying what I say. So it's like you're sitting, sometimes you have these little conversations with yourself that go, you know, how do you know you're you're just not a nut? You know, because there's not a lot of people complaining. Standing alone can really be a frightening thing to do, and so you you, know, you got to have a little bit of courage. And it, well, the thing for me is, I always have the courage of my convictions because uh, I know what the Bible says, and uh, it's not arrogant to say that uh, I know what the Bible says and uh, that I know what sound biblical doctrine is. I mean, these these are God truths, God's truths, not my truths. So I don't have a lot of confidence in myself. I have a lot of confidence in what God says. So just interesting that, that people kind of have things a little bit backwards here. But it's also always a welcome thing to uh, hear somebody else um, seeing the same things I'm seeing. Uh, this is from Don Hathaway, who's a senior pastor at Tabernacle Baptist Church in Cartersville. Not sure where Cartersville is, though. Let's see. Um, Cartersville, Georgia, maybe? I'm not sure. Anyway, the name of the uh, website is called The Christian Index, and the name of the article is The Day the Circus Came to Church. <clears throat> it begins with, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, welcome to the greatest show on earth. These are the words enthusiastically announced to the crowds that attend the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Excitement fills the air as the entertainers enter the arena. Clowns, jugglers, tumblers, bicyclists, and animals of all sorts march before the cheering fans. The smell of popcorn and cotton candy waft their way through the onlookers. The music is festive and exciting. Suddenly, the ringmaster captivates everyone's attention by introducing one of the many acts that the spectators have come to enjoy. One amusing show after another is dramatically performed before the captivated audience. The crescendo of excitement continues to build as each spectacle proves to be more thrilling than the last. Finally, the big finale brings the crowd to its feet as the people rush for the exits. They stop long enough to buy souvenirs to remind them of how much fun the circus can be. In, in many ways, some modern churches have become have come to resemble a circus. Billboards, postcards, and newspaper advertisements promise fun for all who attend. No more boring sermons, unpopular music, or doctrines that divide. Instead, expect short talks, worldly music, and a laid-back setting. Attendees can wear short pants and flip-flops while drinking their favorite beverage and watching video clips from some late-night television shows. All this comes with a guarantee to provide more fun than any church in town. Uh, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not in favor of boring church services, and I'm certainly not against having some good, clean fun. 
My concern is that our churches are becoming more man-centered and less God-centered. This trend poses a grave danger for our churches. Uh, Don, you are absolutely right. We continue. The temptation of using worldly amusements to entice people to attend church can be motivated by a less than healthy desire to by a, by a, sorry by a healthy desire to reach people certainly encouraging others to come to services events or ministries conducted by a church is a good thing the problem is Uh, Some assume that the end justifies the means. In other words, any action that succeeds in getting more people to attend church is viewed as good. This pragmatic approach to outreach is being practiced by a growing number of churches across America. Growing number? (laughs) I think it's the vast majority now. For example, some pastors have attempted to draw people to their services by using provocative advertisements about sex. One postcard I saw recently used racy photos of a man and woman in bed with the words the naked truth about sex god and you <sighs> seen a lot of those i agree that the subject of sex needs to be addressed from the bible but only in good taste using pictures of practicing of practically naked couples kissing in bed for the purpose of attracting people to church is in essence applying the concept of that sex sells to church marketing like water and oil the two simply do not mix Another advertisement that used the pragmatic approach pictured two young men drinking beer and watching television. The caption below read, Church for the Rest of Us. On the back of the card, the statement was made, now offering 71% more fun than anything else you've <laughs> that you have planned Sunday. Not only was pragmatism the driving approach of the postcard, but it also implied that other churches are boring and, and attended by people who think they are perfect. Perhaps the people who use these and similar practices to fill their churches have good motives. I cannot judge what is in a person's heart. Actually, you sh- you should be able to do that. Um, the Bible says the heart's deceitfully wicked. <clears throat> Just kind of pointing that out. Anyway, however, I can say that the methods we use must be consistent with the message we share. I completely agree, Don. Um, we continue. Brethren, we have met we we have met to worship has been replaced with welcome to the show. The prayer room has been turned into the green room. The platform that once was the center for Bible preaching has been converted into a performance stage. The cross, our most most sacred symbol of uh, Jesus' sacrifice, has been removed and replaced with a stage curtain. Music that used to communicate sound theology has given way to vague lyrics overpowered by the pulsating beat of a rock band. Stained glass windows have been covered so flashing lights and smoke machines can set the atmosphere. Even the preacher has been transformed into a life coach. The primary objective seems to be to increase attendance by amusing the crowd. In an effort to attract people to God, it appears that God has been forgotten in the process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I completely agree. <clears throat> there are at least three theological flaws found in this approach. First, it misses the point of the Great Commission, which tells us to go and make disciples. The reason some are using amusement to attract people to church services is because of a failure to practice personal evangelism. It's much easier to invite lost people to hear a comedian, listen to a rock concert, or watch a staff mud wrestling match. Uh, what? What a staff... I haven't seen that one yet. Are there seeker-sensitive churches out there having staff mud wrestling matches? Just asking the question. Sorry, that one derailed me. Hang on. Or what? 
<laughs> or watch a staff mud wrestling match that is to share the gospel. Instead of evangelizing the lost in our neighborhoods, schools, workplaces, and markets, unbelievers are being enticed to come and see a show at church. They're told the message will be light with the mus- and the music will be heavy. They're promised to have more fun than other churches that offer services that merely preach the Bible and sing praises to God. <laughs> Who wants to do that? The truth is, is that the people are not going to experience salvation because they think Christianity is cool. They will only be saved when someone shares the simple gospel in the power of the Spirit. The gospel does not need to be disguised by the trappings of our fleshly culture in order to be effective. It needs to be proclaimed in word and deed by Spirit-filled believers. Hmm. There's an idea. Another theological flaw of this approach is the misuse of the worship service. The primary purpose for the church to gather is to worship the one true and living God. When worship services are designed to attract and amuse people, God ceases to be the focus. In an effort to please the crowd, some pastors have even resorted to using secular music, video clips. Yeah, secular music. They've resorted to actually playing uh, ACDC's Hell's Bells in church. Just saying. Um, Anyway, uh, secular music, video clips from immoral programs and movies, crude humor, provocative sermons, and antics that are uh, customized to shock the crowds. These practices may draw people to come to see the show, but they do not bring honor and glory to God. Stunts such as these trivialize the gospel and grieve the Holy Spirit. Oh, listen to that. See, he's, he's speaking in modern terms. Right. How do you know that worldliness grieves the spirit? Who made you God? You can hear these people. <clears throat> he's right. <clears throat> we continue. <clears throat> okay. Uh, let's see here. Uh, the messages. Uh, the message seems to be: We dress like you. We use crude language like you. We drink beer like you. There's no problem with drinking beer, by the way. We listen to the same worldly music as you, and we laugh at the same dirty jokes. Look, we're all real people, just like you. Well, therein lies the problem. We're not called to be like the world. We're called to be like Christ. Some argue these methods work. People are being reached. The question is, being reached by what and for whom? Others insist we need to broaden our tent to include more people. Well, I'm concerned that some have broadened their tent so much that perhaps they've turned the church service into a circus show. Planning worship services uh, that are welcoming to the lost is important, but not at the expense of distorting the real reason for the service, which is to worship God in spirit and in truth. Underestimating the power of the gospel is also a theological flaw of this approach. We need to remember the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is good news. But you would not know it by the behavior of some pastors and denominational leaders. Some act as if the gospel is a bitter pill that needs to be sweetened with the taste of our pagan culture to make it easier to swallow. Now, there's a metaphor. That's pretty good. For example, consider the music and musicians being used in many of our churches and conferences. Choirs and orchestras have been disbanded and replaced with rock bands. These musicians often appear with tattoos, piercings, black dyed hair, t-shirts, jeans, and flip-flops. I hear the Baptist in him speaking at this point. The new image for worship leaders looks more fitting for MTV rather than the local church. I even heard about one youth pastor who recently invited a group to sing for a summer camp that wears guy liner. <laughs> guy, they, they, they have a term for that. <laughs> guy liner. I have not heard that one. Okay. 
Going to have to tuck that one away as a word to use in the future. In case you are wondering, guy liner is women's makeup worn by men. Okay. <laughs> well, they're putting on a show. You got, you know, you, you got the stage lights. You know, the stage light, you got to have the right makeup to be under the stage lights. <clears throat> we have come a long way from the time Elvis Presley appeared on the Ed Sullivan show. Television would only show him from the waist up because his hip gyrations were too offensive. What is happening in some worship services these days makes Elvis look like George Beverly Shaw. Much of today's music, were, uh, church music, is heavy on style and light on substance. No theological training necessary, just the ability to play loud and look cool. That's an interesting point. Uh, why are a growing number of conservative pastors and denominational leaders embracing this unorthodox approach? I believe one reason is because of a weakened confidence in the power of the gospel. Some believe that in order for the gospel to be accepted by our pagan culture, it needs human assistance to make it more appealing. At this point, proponents of this approach will quote 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, section B, which where Paul said, I have become all things to all men so that I may be all means, save some. Is Paul saying that he would use vulgar language, dress effeminately, drink beer? There's no problem with drinking beer. Smoke cigars to win the lost? No! He, he is making the point that the he was willing to suffer any personal loss in order to lead others to Christ. Paul never diluted the gospel in order to make it more palatable because he knew that only the gospel had the power to save. This is a lesson we need to remember and follow in this modern, actually it's postmodern era. There is much talk these days about the need to increase baptisms and grow our churches. Much of the uh, conversation is focused on strategy, as if the problem is merely organizational. Without question, we can and must become more effective at communicating the gospel. However, there is a big difference in gathering a crowd and growing a church. If we are not careful in our effort to improve our baptisms and attendance, we will be tempted to accommodate the crowd rather than faithfully preach the truth. He's right on that point. For example, Noah preached for 120 years and only had eight passengers on the ark when the flood came. <laughs> yeah, tell that to these pragmatist guys. Scripture's clear. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And how many people were on the ark? Eight. So much for the effectiveness of the foolishness of preaching. If Noah lived in our days, his name would not be mentioned on the list of fastest growing churches. However, he would have numerous church growth experts helping him to develop a strategy to get more people on the boat. I can hear them now. Noah, what you need to do is change the way you communicate. Rather than preaching on judgment all the time and teaching some carpentry classes in some of the uh, uh, all the time teach some carpentry classes to some of the locals have your sons build some long tables and get mrs noah and your daughters-in-law to fix a giant buffet enlist some of the local talent to come entertain the crowds with the kind of music they play down at the tavern noah one thing uh, one final thing don't call your vessel an ark of safety call it the love boat if you do these things you will see people coming aboard from everywhere. <sighs> I suspect Noah would simply say, no thanks, I'm just going to preach the truth and leave the results up to God. Strategies are fine as long as they do not come at the expense of the gospel. More than, than new strategies, our churches desperately need revival. No strategy will ever accomplish what only can be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
After Jesus' entry into Jerusalem before his crucifixion, he visited the temple and was disgusted at what he saw. His response is recorded in Matthew 21, verses 12 and 13. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. When Jesus looks at our churches, what does he see? We must objectively ask, are our methods distorting our message? Yes, they are. Have we allowed our churches to become circuses that look more like the world than the kingdom? Hmm. Yeah, I think so. If the answer to these questions is yes, then we have come and then we have some cleaning to do. The time has come for us to close down the circus and get back to church. He's a great op-ed. I'm glad that Don has uh, joined the uh, chorus of those of us who uh, are calling the church back to repentance and preaching the gospel. Amen. Good, po- good post. You know what? I'll, I'll uh, Twitter and uh, Twitter out and Facebook the link to this one because I think it's worth passing along. Although I don't agree with everything he says, and there, I, the bulk of what he says is spot on. All right, it's now time for our sermon review here at uh, Fighting for the Faith. And uh, that means it's uh, it's an obligation via tradition here at Fighting for the Faith for us to queue up the uh, sermon review music. There it is. Our theme song, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. Uh, today's sermon is brought to you by... <laughs> the Champions Center. The, <laughs> what kind of name for a church is that? The Champions Center. And uh, the uh, pastor there um, is named Kevin Gerald. Now let me see if I can find uh, what state these people are in. Hang on a second here. There he is. Let's see. Where is the Champions Center? I'm perusing their website now. Conferences, campuses. Here we go. Campi. Tacoma and Bellevue. Ah, my old stomping grounds up there in the greater Seattle area. So this is from the Champion Center, either in Bellevue or Tacoma, Washington. Ah, boy. The name of the sermon is Fueling Your Future. Yeah, they're not creating Christians there. They're creating champions. Sound Joel Osteen-esque to you? It probably should. All right, we we need to kill the music. Can we kill the music? Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, now, uh, so without any further ado, here is uh, Kevin Gerald from the um, Champions Center. Um, funny enough, it's C-E-N-T-R-E, Centra. Is that the British spelling for center? Anyway, here he is on uh, fueling your future, and uh, see if you can uh, identify the problems in law and gospel here. By the way, the purpose of the law is to convict you of your sin, and it shows you what a good work is. However, it can't save you. The purpose of the gospel, though, is to comfort you and give you the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you on the cross. See if you hear that in this message, even briefly. We'll find out. Here we go. Uh, Here's Kevin Gerald. What got you here, that's what I want to talk about today. What got you here won't get you there. Everybody say with me, what got me here 
won't get me there. Well, already we're off to a bad start. What got me here won't get me there. What are you talking about? Uh, you know, if I showed up at the uh, Champion Center there in Bellevue, Washington, th- that's what got me there. Will it not get me? What? What are you talking about? What got me here won't get me there. Where's here? Where's there? What are you talking about? And is this in the Bible? Look at your neighbor and say, "What got you here won't get you there." There's a story in John chapter 21 that I want to use for my message today. And it's a story where some of Jesus' disciples are fishing and they've not had any good results. Wait, what? <laughs> You're going to read a story where the disciples are fishing and they didn't have good results. Hang on a second. Oh, man. Um, oh, boy. This is going to be all kinds of fun. Here we listen. If you read the story, it tells about them on the Sea of Tiberias and how Simon Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And Nathaniel and Thomas and some of the other guys said, well, we want to go with you. So they went out. They got into the boat. But that night... They caught nothing. No, not that. Oh, no, they didn't have good results. Gasp. I could have had a V8. Oh, man, no. They didn't have good results. They didn't catch anything. Oh, the shame of it. Oh, the sin of it. (laughs) Oh, I hope Jesus comes and... (sighs) That night they caught... They caught nothing. And they, they, didn't, they didn't end up not catching anything because there wasn't some effort. <laughs> Hang on a second. It has been a while since I've been able to do this. Hang on. <laughs> Adventures in Missing the Point. I love that echo. Man, <laughs> that has got to be the all-time lamest interpretation I have heard of John chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, open them up. <laughs> if not, I'll read it for you in context. Let, let's see if John chapter 21 is about their failure to catch fish if that's the if that's the real point of the story i mean cuz they you know they put in effort uh, john chapter 21 verse 1 remember our three important rules for correctly interpreting the bible they are context context and context believe me when i tell you 90% of all problems when it comes to being deceived by people who are twisting the Bible, 90% of those problems can be cleared right up if you actually go back and you read a passage in context. So we read, now after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Now, this is a post-resurrection appearance here. So that's kind of the important thing going on, is that the resurrected Jesus is appearing to the disciples. So it happened in this way. Verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, 
I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord! And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So you see, this isn't a story about failure, of, of, of not succeeding even though you've put in effort. <laughs> not at all. This is a fantastic, wonderful story about Jesus and his, res- and his appearance to the disciples after he'd been raised from the dead. Oh, how could you miss that? Hey, anyway, we continue. There was effort involved, but they weren't getting the results. <laughs> when you know what this passage is about, Kevin just sounds stupid. Number one thing I'd like you to write down today is that a crisis in your life is a sign that something needs to change. <laughs> okay, you read, <laughs> you read the passage that they went fishing all night and they didn't catch anything. You didn't read the passage in context. And so your first point is, and point number one, <clears throat> a crisis in your life is a sign that something needs to change. Um, there was no crisis <laughs> in the passage you just read. There, it wasn't a crisis that they didn't catch any fish at all. That's not the point of the passage at all. This isn't a story about the thing that they had to change in order to overcome the crisis. Oh boy. It may not mean you're not trying. It may not mean that you're not putting forth the energy and the effort. These guys have been fishing all night. They were doing their best. Uh, notice, uh, because he's missed the whole point, and we're already into works righteousness here. This is all law. There's no gospel in here, and yet the passage itself is gospel. <sighs> but they weren't getting the results that they wanted to get. And, you know, I, I see a lot of people as a, as a pastor and trying to help people and just really caring and wanting to see people have their best life. I see a lot of people experience a lifetime of reoccurring crises. You're trying to help people have their best life? 
Huh? Your job is to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Sir, I think you've, uh, you have biffed it. You don't understand what a Christian pastor is and what he's supposed to do. That explains why you don't, you don't have a clue about this passage that you're supposedly preaching on. We continue. We've we got to hear about this, this, this terrible crisis. We continue. They put time into making it better. They put money. They go to counselors to try to make it better. But they keep getting the same results because they don't change the habit that's creating the hassle in their life. Somebody said that one definition of insanity is to assume that you can do the same thing and get different results. A crisis is a sign that something needs... Uh, there's no crisis in this uh, passage at all, um, and uh, <laughs> the whole ins- yeah, the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over again and expecting a different result. What passage of scripture is that from again? And uh, is that just you know, hmm. needs to change in our lives? It's a sign that something needs to be different. I want you to just say with me: What got you here won't get you there. I read something this okay so notice this is if you want something different in life you got to do something different you gotta you gotta you gotta you gotta that's all law 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 in other words if uh something going bad in your right in your life and there's a crisis something's got to change you better get your act together you be you see you're not experiencing god's blessing because you be doing something wrong this hmm. week that I want to share with you. It's on the tomb of an Anglican bishop in Westminster Abbey. It was written in 1100 A.D. And here's what he wrote. He said, when I was young... Just need to remind you all, listening to this sermon review, this quote from the um, tomb of of somebody at Westminster Abbey, this is not found in the Bible. Just wanted to point that out. This is not found in the Bible at all. And free, and my imagination had no limits... I dreamed of changing the world. As I grew older and wiser, I discovered the world would not change. So I shortened my sights somewhat and decided to change only my country. But it too seemed immovable. As I grew into my twilight years in one last desperate attempt, I settled for only changing my family, those closest to me. But they would have none of it. And now as I lie on my deathbed, I suddenly realize if I had only changed myself first, then my example would have changed my family. And from their inspiration and their encouragement, I would then have been able to better my country. And who knows, I might have even changed the world. It's a great example of how most of us think in life, is that we think about changing somebody else. We think about how we need to change our husband. We need to change our wives. We need to change our kids. We've called a 
I guess we'll call it a timeout here at Champion Center. To just say, you know what, it, it, it's... You know, it's a little uh, warm here in the studio, and I'm sweating. I think I need to change my shirt. It's an opportune time for all of us to just pull into the station of life for a little while. Keep in mind, the foundation for the text of the sermon doesn't support even one of the points that he's making so far. Unbelievable. As Tim showed us a little while ago on the video, F. Okay, the name of this uh, sermon series, by the way, is Fueling Your Future. And so he's he's built this in, a, what's that called, an acrostic? You know, you take the first letter of each one. and you. Anyway, so f- FUEL, F-U-E-L, it stands for four different things, apparently. Fire up my spirit, upgrade my thinking, exercise self-control, lift the people around me. That's what FUEL means, and he's going to remind us of that. Uh, any mention of Christ and what he's done? Any mention of the gospel at all? Repentance, forgiveness of sins, anything like that? A- any, any, Anything? No. This is all law light, if you would. This is all, all imperatives, things you have to do. Get cracking, get working. You, you need to fire up your spirit. You need to upgrade your thinking. You need to exercise self-control. You need to lift the people up around you. You need to, you need to, you need to. That's all law, 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 law. I don't know if I can get any lower. Hang on. <clears throat> law. <clears throat> Acronym F stands for firing up our spirit. We're going to take an opportunity to stoke the coals and, and look for new flames in our spirit. U stands for upgrade our thinking. E stands for exercise self-control. And L stands for lifting the people around me. In other words, we're, we're saying, you know what? Let's get real. Let's get honest. I'm saying to... La, 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 And it's not, it's not even good law. It's not, it's not even lawful preaching. It's not the kind of preaching that convicts you of your sins and shows you your need of the Savior. This is, this is tips and strategies and things you need to do, principles you need to apply. Get busy. Get cracking. To all of the individuals a chance. Because you might have a crisis in your life and you need to, you, what got you there won't get you there. You, yeah. Happy and center. Can, can we all do some self-examination? Can we all just have a look into our own lives right now? Yeah, let's do that according to God's law and see how we measure up. See if it comes back and convicts us and shows us that we're sinners in need of a Savior. Let's see. Can we look at the fuel tank? Why am I focusing on myself again? Um, I'm curious. What's the point of this exercise of me focusing on myself? Just asking, because I thought church was about proclaiming what Christ has done. And if we've been running on a quarter of a tank and we've been sputtering through life, can we just say, you know what, I don't want to live this way? Oh, no. Living on a quarter of a tank? That's terrible. Can you imagine living on a quarter of a... You know, it's not a shame. There's no shame in going down to empty. But we're not supposed to stay there. We're not supposed to get comfortable there. (laughs) What does that mean? There's no shame in letting the tank get down to empty. (laughs) We're not supposed to live there. 
People, what does it mean to live there on empty? What does that mean? And did Jesus die to solve that problem? I'm just asking. People don't change until they perceive change. Write this down. People don't change until they perceive change. Is, is that in the Bible? Is that found in the Proverbs? People don't change until they perceive change. You know, Proverbs chapter 86. Maybe it's past the book of maps. Hey. To be better than staying the same. People don't change until they Sorry. change to be better and stay in the same. In the story of John 21, Jesus comes along and he recommends a different approach. He simply said, cast your nets on the other side. <laughs> and when they did... Jesus uh, just offered a different approach, man. Just cast your nets on the other side, dude. <laughs> oh, man. They got new and better results. Oh, no, you did not say that. Hang on. I have to back it up because I interrupted it. It's just too stupid to, to pass up. I, I you know, hang on. <laughs> John 21, Jesus comes along. And he recommends a different approach. He simply said, cast your nets on the other side. And when they did, they got new and better results. Now, here's my rationale. I, I Is this chapter about results? <laughs> you kind of missed the big important part. <laughs> the big important part is that Jesus is raised from the dead. This is the third time he's appeared to him. It's a kind of a big deal that Jesus is the Jesus, you know. Oh, man. I mean, if we just be honest and think about the, you know, the, there's just a boat. I mean, I mean, this side of the boat, <laughs> you can't tell me that, that the fish that are on this side can't also be on this side. We're not talking even about these big ocean liners. We're talking about small fishing boats. Okay? So Jesus is saying, take your net, put it over here. Fish swim in 2.3 seconds. They swim from here to here. Right. And you've just missed the entire point of this text. <laughs> There's people in the audience saying amen. <laughs> they don't even know what they're saying amen to. But something happens whenever we engage and have a willingness to do what we need to do and put forth our best effort. I, I don't understand it. La, 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 la. Oh, man. He, he's not even doing this right. It's a spiritual thing. I'm not even trying to attempt it to explain it to you. but <laughs> Probably because you can't. It, oh, it's a spiritual thing. That means it's mystical and mystifying. And I, I can't even begin to explain it to you. Well, no, you're, you're not even on my level to be able to do that. That might take weeks. I, I can tell you that when we are willing to do what we can do, it moves heaven. And really, when we're willing to do what we need to do, it moves heaven. 
can you give me a real clear passage of Bible, of Bible that says that? Because the last time I checked, Christ died for my sins while I was not willing to do nothing, while I was still a sinner. <sighs> In such a way, and heaven gets behind people who are willing to do what they can do to bring about something new and something better in their life. It's not about the fish. It's not about, it's about change. This isn't even a good, this, I mean, there's all allegory, really. You got to be real careful. It's very dangerous stuff. But I mean, this isn't even good allegory. This is just bad. It's about a willingness to not just stay where we are. All right, so let me see if I have this straight. Okay, so the reason why they caught the fish is because they had a willingness to not stay where they were, and as a result of it, heaven got behind them. You've got to be kidding. Unbelievable. Because ultimately, this fish story is all about productivity. And keep doing what we're doing that isn't working. But what I found is that a lot of people are not willing to change. In fact, all people, as best I can tell, are not willing until we perceive that, that making a change is going to bring about better results in our life. Did you get this information reading a business book or the Bible? And if you didn't get this information from reading a business book, then maybe I should ask a different question because it's not from the Bible were you wearing a tinfoil pyramid hat when this information came to you? So we just stay like we are until we perceive. And the key word is perceive. Everybody say perceive. perceive. Maybe you felt this way in your marriage. And maybe you felt this way, you know, on your job. You get to a point where what worked isn't working anymore. And you know what? What was working yesterday isn't working now. Uh, Sheila and I are about to celebrate, or we, we are celebrating, I should say, 30 years of marriage. Okay? I, I know, I look really, I, you know, I got married when I was four. That's what happened. I, just, you, but, but here's what I want to tell you is that, that anybody who assumes that yesterday's I love you and, you know, last year's demonstration of devotion is going to do anything to fuel you this year has got it wrong. You know, you, I found out that if we're going to keep having marriage the way God wants it to be, that, that at, at no point can I assume that what I did back then is going to fuel me here and into the future in our relationship. I might have bought roses back then, but they died. Ooh, wow, that's so deep. Wow. I might have bought roses back then, but they died. See, that proves I got to do something different. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I no, I actually don't. Because, uh, first of all, the conclusions you're drawing from the passage you read... Uh, they're not valid at all, and this is really some kind of a motivational boost your productivity, make your life happier pep talk based upon the things I've got to do. This doesn't even qualify as Christian sanctification. I mean, I can get this stuff from a business seminar. And I might have I pledged my devotion back then, but that was then. She wants to hear now. So I've got to keep on figuring out. 
Because what got me here was... I got to keep on. I got to keep on. I got to keep on. I, that's law. Uh, all law. No gospel here. Don't get me there. I got to figure out what is it that I need to do today? What is it I need to say right now? Uh, you need to repent and say you're wrong and confess your sins and receive the forgiveness of sins from Christ. Because this ain't Christian preaching there, dude. That's what you need to do right now. I don't think that's what he was asking, though. What is it that I need to bring out in this season of our life to just change it up and to stay fresh and to stay new and to keep the good times rolling? Stay fresh and stay new? Are those major themes of Christian doctrine? I don't see that in Scripture. In our marriage, come on, and not get dead and not get stagnant because what got me here will not get me there. And again, this is, there's a lot of spiritual in this because we want to try to understand it. We want to try to... There's a lot of spiritual in this. Uh, no, there's no spiritual in what you said at all. I didn't see no spiritual in it. Did you y'all listen to me? Uh, listen to the review. Did you hear anything spiritual in what he said? How are you defining the word spiritual there, Gerald? Uh, I mean, Kevin, Kevin, Gerald. You know, figure all that out. I can't explain times and seasons. God created times and seasons. But I can just simply tell you it's very real. And, it, and it, at any point in your life, you assume that you can somehow make yesterday's devotion today's. You're, you've got it wrong. You've got to wake up every day and say it's a... What exactly is the problem you're trying to solve again there, Kevin? You're, you're losing me quick, and I, I could pay close attention to things. Yeah. New day for new devotion. It's a new day for new inspiration. It's a new day for me to plug into God again and to stir the passion of God in my life today. But see, if we don't perceive that, everybody shout perceive. Then we get stuck because we don't see how a change is actually. So somebody, like I, I'll get in front of a congregation and I'll say, come on, you got to change. It's time for a new change. But I've, I've come to realize unless a person recognizes how a change will benefit them, that I can talk all day. They're not going to change. Yeah, because they need to whip them. They need to know what's in it for them. <laughs> That's one thing I realized through years of ministry. And I used, to, I used to exhaust myself trying to help people who wouldn't help themselves. I quit. I'm done with that. Because <laughs> we all know that statement, uh, God helps those who help themselves. That's found in uh, Hezekiah chapter 406, uh, page 32, paragraph C, section 1. By the way, uh, the phrase, God helps those who helps themselves, that ain't in the Bible. That's um, Ben Franklin. I don't spend all day with people who just want to talk my ear off. And they, they want me to sit and listen to them all day long. But they're not ready to make a change. I'm not going to do that anymore. I wasted valuable time for my family, valuable time on that I could use in other productive ways on people who wanted to talk and not do anything. And until a person has a vision and perceives in their own life how th I'm going to make this change so that I can be here next week instead of here. I want to be here 
in five years instead of here. I was sad today when Tom Watson, he lost the British Open. He's almost 60 years old. He took it right up into a playoff in overtime. He took it into a playoff. He's all- now, actually, he didn't. He uh, On the 72nd hole, he shot a bogey and lost. Well, actually, that's right. He did go into a playoff. He, he, he shot a bogey. Yeah, he's right. He's right. Sorry, I just was trying to think this through. He has... See, the thing is, he didn't take it all the way up into you know, to a playoff. The, the reality is, is he was winning the tournament until the last hole, and then he shot a bogey and ended up tying it. And anyway, sorry, just, you know. Almost 60 years old. It's a major tournament. He would have been the first 60-year-old to win a major. And I was cheering. I mean, a guy named Tom, 60 years old, you know, winning the British. It didn't come any better than that. I'm like, go Tom. Doesn't sound like a golfer to me. He's not a believer. <laughs> but see, somebody, some people are like, oh yeah, come on, golf. What's it have to do? I want to ask you, what are you going to be doing when you're sixty? Uh, how is this a Christian uh, sermon again? I, I'm confused. Of course, that's for all of you who are not yet sixty. I don't want to be done. I want to be at the top of my game. And what does this have to do with Christ and him crucified for our sins again? I'm just not connecting those dots. Um, You need to fill those in for me there, uh, Kevin. If you're 60, what are you going to be doing when you're 70? (laughs) What got you here won't get you there. But see, some people don't change until they see it as better. They keep fishing the same way until... Oh, lame allegorical interpretation. Oh, man. They keep fishing the same way. They get hungry enough until the boat gets on empty. And unfortunately, a lot of people wait too long. And they experience unnecessary pain. No, not unnecessary pain from waiting too long. That's tragic. What? Oh. That's terrible. Oh. Unnecessary financial hardship. Unnecessary aloneness. And loneliness. Uh, do I need a crucified and risen sla- Savior to help me with either of those two problems? In their life. They wait too long to perceive the plans that God has for them. They wait too long to perceive that future that God has in mind. And to know that God is a good God and He has big big plans for my life and good plans for my life. Plans to, to bless me and to prosper me. Oh boy, there we go. Another passage ripped from context. Uh, by the way, that was not written to the general Christian population. That was written to the uh, exiles returning to Jerusalem from Babylon. Uh, look it up yourself. Not- I don't mean that sarcastically in the sense of looking it up yourself. It's important that you do read your Bible on your own. If you don't believe me, look the passage up and read it in context. Not plans to harm me, plans to give me a hope and a future. 
And I'm just, I'm asking our church right now, I'm asking every individual, could you, could you just lift your vision for your life? Could you just... Which of the apostles uh, told the Christians to lift their vision for their life? Uh, which of Paul's sermons when he was out on his missionary journeys did he talk about the importance of lifting your vision for your life? Kick in the perceiver in you and began to... Or to which of the sermons uh, taught by Jesus, any of the parables taught by Jesus, or... Uh, anything in the writings of the apostles and or prophets, we'll even throw in Moses, for heaven's sakes. We'll just throw in the whole Bible. Which which section of the Bible talks about kicking in the perceiver in you? Perceive what could happen in your life. Could you get mad about, about the places in your life where the results are not what they ought to be and say enough? You know, I'm telling you, if uh, if I were a CEO, I mean, I'd want my employees to go to this church because, man, talk about productivity increases. They might go to hell, but, I, you know, being a cold, hard you know, capitalist, you know, with a small, tiny black heart, um, you know, I mean, who cares if they go to hell as long as they produce for me? I'm joking. Enough is enough. I'm going to be honest about this area of my life. I'm not going to keep living this way anymore. God has something better for me, and I know it. And I know it, I know it, and so therefore I will not... What if God doesn't have anything better for you in this life? In fact, after hearing this sermon, you discover that you have terminal cancer and you have a week to live. Uh, these uh, promises sure would ring hollow, wouldn't they? Continue like I am anymore. I perceive better things ahead. He's gotten all of this from a misreading of John 21? Oh, boy. And based on that perception, I will act now. I will not wait until my life, I self-sabotage my life, or I end up in a place where I don't want to be, and it's hard to get out of. I will not wait. I will perceive now that God has something better in store for me. You go ahead and perceive a way you don't know what you're talking about because you're not cre preaching Christian doctrine. In fact, it might be that at the end of uh, your life, God has in store for you hell because you didn't repent and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and uh, you didn't preach that message for sure. And I'm going to welcome a new change and a new day and a new thing in my life. Oh, yeah, everyone's cheering. Oh, boy, yeah, that's right. I love this. My itching ears feel oh so much better because this guy's a great scratcher. What got you here won't get you there. One last point I want to make. Vision remains. Plans approach and methods change. What? <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> point number three. Apparently, all of this is somehow found in uh, John chapter 21. Not sure how, but apparently it's there if you put on your Kevin Gerald decoder glasses. Um, here we go. Let's see if you can make heads or tails of this. Vision remains. Plans approach and methods change. Okay. Yeah, it's, blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. I have no idea what that means. Plans approach and methods change. The disciples on that night 
did not change their vision. There was no point where the vision changed. They started out. Uh, where does it say in John 21 that the disciples had any vision for anything? They were up at the Sea of Tiberias. Peter said, hey, I'm going fishing. And they said, hey, I'll go with you. Uh, what was their grand vision again on that one? And out to catch fish. That was the vision. Oh, this is terrible, man. I did. Wow. But how they went about it had to change. Yeah, because they were doing it wrong. Eric mentioned it a while ago at offering time. A good sailor knows. A good pilot knows. The winds change. Have you ever stopped to think that the, the, the fact that they caught anything was pure miracle to show that it was Christ that was there on the shore? Has that thought even occurred to you? I somehow doubt it. Wherever you're going, destination-wise and vision-wise, doesn't change. When you set out and you have a God-given vision in your life, that doesn't change. But how you get there is going to change. And you got to keep your heart open for new approaches, for new plans, and for new methods. Oh, man. You got to keep your heart open for new new approaches and new methods. Uh, Kevin, it was a miracle uh, performed by the Lord to show that it was him, you know, the risen Savior. You know, Because remember the whole crucifixion thing, dying for the sins of the world, that kind of thing, rising again from the dead three days later. That's the big story there. I don't have so much pride. That you're not willing to adjust. You see, because, you know, the, the apostles, they didn't have any pride at all. They, they were told to try something different. And they just, they had, they were humble and they tried the new method. Ugh. To change your approach. If this is a season right now that calls for a change in your approach, don't, have, don't be stubborn about that. You can still have your vision. It's just the approach has to change. This is all about you. This is not... <laughs> woo, it's all about me. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, no, thanks. I'd rather hear about my crucified and risen Savior and what he's done for me. Because the passage itself is actually really about Jesus. He, it's completely missed him, though. And in fact, I would encourage you right now... Did I hear them cueing the sappy music already? Hang on. Economically and financially? Yep, they've cued the sappy music. Here comes the emotional manipulation portion of the sermon. Make some changes. And, and, and don't wait until you, you're forced to. You know, if you got a car you can do without, sell it. You know, if you, you make some changes right now in the budget and your spending. You know, maybe a few years ago you could run through. You know, change your shirt, change your pants. Maybe change your hairstyle. The, the, the store with your credit card and be like a, a general screaming, charge, charge, charge. But you probably can't do that right now. There's no shame in that. Don't get all depressed about that. Don't have a pity party about that. Be bold about that. How is this church again? You have courage. Began to continue to declare, you know, just in my life, God supplies all my need. My vision... It doesn't change. My vision stays the same. 
I'm still pointed in the same direction with the same destiny in front of me. But I am not afraid to change my plans. And that's exactly what happened when these guys lifted up their net. And they just simply turned their bodies, went to the other side of the boat and dropped it down. (laughs) I can't believe he's able to preach this with a straight face. Unbelievable. They put it down in the water. And I love the fact that the Bible says that the net became full. Yeah, man. And it was so full. I read it in different versions of Scripture this past. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. That. (laughs) He compared the the verse that said that the net was full in different translations. Just got to check to make sure if there's anything really powerful in the Greek there about the net being full. (laughs) No, this is is so bad. Oh, man. Last week, message version, NIV version, but no more empty boat. No more, no more trying to catch something. I mean, I just feel like it's a great witness to all of you today. And I wanted to share this story. Oh, please do. To remind you, God, God doesn't want our boats empty. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, Kevin, dude, you need to repent, man. This is not Christian preaching. Oh, wow. God doesn't want your boat empty. Oh, <laughs> Really, that's your takeaway from this text. Unbelievable. He doesn't want our life empty. And, and if, you know, if you're here today and you've had a maybe a temptation to just settle in, well, this must be the way God wants it. I'm going to ask you to not think that way. I'm going to ask you to stand back up and say, no way. Maybe I've suffered some some nights here without any catches. And maybe I've been trying and putting a lot of energy into this without any results. But you know what? God doesn't want my boat empty. And I'm going to continue to believe God for a full boat. Oh, wow. Boy, it's getting worse by the second. Do you know Patricia King, by the way? You two would get along. I'm going to continue to believe God that he is my provider. He's going to supply for me. I'm willing to change and adjust, but the vision is intact. Amen? Uh, No, I cannot say amen to that. You are not preaching biblical doctrine at all here. I don't know what you're preaching. Did you hear this from Tony Roberts or Anthony? uh, Anthony, Who's that? Uh, Anyway. Anthony Robbins, that's who it is. Let me spell it out to you in the closing moments here. uh, uh, Think about a roundabout. You know a roundabout, they're they're more common in Europe than they are here. We have a few of them here. But a roundabout is where you enter into a, a circle. And the roundabout allows you options. You know, so you enter the roundabout in your automobile. And you can go this way. Or you can go straight on like you've been going. Or you can go this way, or you can make a complete circle, and you can go back on the road you've been going on. That's what a roundabout is. 
No. Wow, that's deep. Roundabout. I'm feeling more spiritual by the second. Think of what we're doing in the life of our church right now at Champion Center as a spiritual roundabout. As an opportunity that I'm presenting to you to say to you, you know what? you got some options here. You, you don't have to keep going the way you've been going if the way you've been going isn't getting you what you want in your life. Wow. So if the way you've been going ain't getting you what you want in your life. So Christianity is all about God want, helping me achieve what I want in my life. Wow. You ever heard of a sovereign God and God's will? God, yeah, God has a will, believe it or not. And his will trumps mine, by the way, and it trumps yours. God doesn't exist to be my genie and help me achieve what I want from my life. Uh, dude, this ain't even, this, this is, this is, hang on. Yep. Yep. I'm smelling sulfur here. Pretty strong too. And you don't have to go all the way back around and do the same thing you've been doing over and over again. You got some options in your life and it's as simple as examining. Is it in my health? Is it, is it, is it my health life physically? Is it, is it time for me? To say, you know what? There's no way that I can experience what God has for me. Continuing to treat my body the way I've been treating it. Allah, law, 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 no gospel so far. Zero gospel. In fact, yep, the gospel has not made even an appearance in crumb format. Wow. There's no way. I am jeopardizing my destiny i'm jeopardizing the possibility of wouldn't want to jeopardize your destiny now would you yeah my my ears you know i feel like they're getting scratched for something of dying too young and before you try to tell me well you know what kevin i just think god whenever he wants me to go i'm gonna go while you stuff another mouthful of greasy bacon in your mouth i want to tell you you got bad theology a lot of people <laughs> So the person eating bacon, who may be a little bit overweight, has bad theology. Really? That would be the pot calling the kettle black, don't you think? People die before their time. A lot of people die before God is ready for them to die. Because of what they're doing to their bodies. And and I want to give you an option. Get up off the couch in the summer of 2009. Just think about it. Perceive what could be. Look that, that you, you could look back on the summer of 2009 and say that was the summer when I decided I wasn't going to keep treating my body the way I had been treating it. I was going to begin to honor the body God gave me. Allah, no gospel. And it's so you-centered, too. I mean... Do we even need a God here at all for any of this? Oh, I forget. This is the kind of theology where you're the one that's God. Sorry, I forgot. Come on. Come on. 
Just think what can happen in the life of our church. If we, we just consider how many of us, I'm thinking about emails I'm going to get from some people. I'm thinking about testimonies that some people are going to have who are going to say, you know what, Kevin, alcohol was no longer just a drink that I had occasionally. It was in the summer of 2009 that I came to terms with the fact that I wasn't just a, a once in a while drinker. I was, I was drinking too much. And it was beginning to impact my life. And it was beginning to get a hold on my life. If you're here today and you're drinking often and you're drinking to get a thrill in your life, you know, you can sit back, fold your arms and say, there ain't no preacher who's going to tell me I can't drink a little wine if I want to drink a little wine. It's okay for me to drink a little wine. You're right. It's okay for you to drink a little wine. But be honest today. Are you going to offer them the forgiveness of sins uh, for the sin of drunkenness? I mean, I think that's what you're trying to build up to. Be really honest. Is there an addiction in your life that you've let it get a hold of you? And it's beginning to impact in your life. Beginning to have an impact in your life. All right. Somebody who's addicted to alcohol. Serious problem here. That falls into the sin of, of drunkenness. Are you going to offer them the forgiveness of sins for that sin? All right, let's be honest. If, if you keep... Or are you going to just throw them back on themselves and make them solve their own problem? Doing what you're doing. How's it going to impact your, your marriage? How's it going to impact your children? Is there anybody who will be honest enough, who will say, you know what? I don't want to keep going like I've been going. This is my opportunity. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for being honest with me and being bold with me. Uh, you're not proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Remember that little part about bad theology? Yeah, you suffer from that, Kevin. You know, you can drink alcohol and go to heaven. You can smoke nicotine, go to heaven. And how do we go to heaven, Kevin? Are you going to tell us about Christ's death on the cross for our sins? You got a chance here. I'm hoping. I'm. I, I. I would be surprised and happy if you did. You can be addicted to things, eat way too much, and go to heaven. But if you do all those things, it will mess up God's plan. For your life, instead of being a great dad, you'll be a loser dad. Instead of being the kind of husband God wants you to be, you'll be a husband God doesn't want you to be. Kind of like a loser pastor who doesn't actually do his job. You know, preach the word. Yeah. Instead of having a great man, I'm sorry, I'm just fired up today, church. I, I... Right. Fire is probably the right description. It's not from heaven, though. You will not be what God wants you to be. And, and I'm just saying, you know, if you, I'm just saying, I've been preaching like this every service this weekend. I'm just saying, I'm calling, I'm calling the church. I'm calling you out. And I'm just saying to you, this is not about some little cute thing, a program of fuel. Fuel it. And so I don't want you to go buy a t-shirt that says, been there, done that, and have a uh, fuel this. Okay, Kevin, you got another little deal going. You will be so wrong if you think of that this way. This is something God put on my heart. Oh, so you're blaming God for your bad message. <sighs> We 
weeks ago to bring to you as a church and to say this is a roundabout opportunity for some people at Champion Center to make some new decisions in your life that will literally change your future. There you have it. Kevin Gerald of the Champions Center there up in uh, Bellevue and uh, Tacoma, Washington, the greater Seattle area, if you would. And uh, I don't know what he's preaching, but uh, he's apparently rolling his own theology and uh, smoking it. And um, wow, that was a stinker. Uh, Let me uh, help you out here. Folks, listen, okay? Life throws curves at you. You have ups and you have downs. We, we, we're in the middle of a bad economy and things may not be going well at work for you. Uh, things may not be going well for you financially. However, that is not really what Christianity is about. Okay, Christianity teaches you that Christ loves you regardless of your circumstances, regardless of whether or not the economy's up or down. Christ died for the sins of the rich and the poor. He died for the sins of the free person as well as the person who is literally, literally enslaved. They might be enslaved in the sex trade, and yet Christ died for them. The, the message of the gospel is not that you need to change things in order to better your circumstances. The, the message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came into the world, conquered sin, death, and the devil for you, and is offering you full pardon and forgiveness of sins through what he's done as a gift, purely by faith. It's all his grace. And therefore, your God loves you even in your circumstances, whether or not things never get better for you. If you've been diagnosed with terminal cancer, Christ loves you and offers you the forgiveness of sins. He hasn't abandoned you, and he's not going to abandon you to the devil and to hell. No, he's not content to do such a thing. He doesn't want to see you punished for your sins. That's why he has taken this dramatic move to die on the cross for your sins. The good news of the gospel is for you. And even if you've been a Christian your entire life, Christ died for you. Well, can that help you in your circumstances? It gives us hope in the midst of all of our circumstances. And we can be filled with the joy of the Lord, even as bad and bleak of circumstances that the world can throw at us. Things could be really bad. And yet, in the midst of it, we know that our God is there and that he has died for us, that he loves us, and that he cares for us. None of this ever changes, regardless of what your circumstances are. So repent of your wickedness and believe the good news. And if you are caught up and addicted to alcohol, or if you're addicted to uh, things that are causing you to be self-destructive to your body, it's not that you're just being self-destructive, you're disobeying God, and you need to repent and believe that Christ died even for those sins. All right, sadly, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith, and I need to remind you that Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means your financial support is critical, vital, uh, necessary, and all of those other words in order for us to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith not only to you but to other people. In fact, by generously supporting Fighting for the Faith, you not only benefit from this program, but you make it possible for others to benefit from it as well. You can support us a couple of ways. You can visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com, and click on one of our friendly yellow donate buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. 
<sighs> well, <laughs> that was uh, <clears throat> really bad. All right. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith or others, you can do so at uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or look me up on Facebook. My name is Chris Roseboro, or you can follow me on Twitter and receive our subversive microblogging tweets. My name there is Pirate Christian. Until next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for you. Yeah, that's right, you. Amen. <laughs>